This is George Newbern, the voice of Superman. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast app. The original Justice League has become a memory. I am resigning from the Justice League. What's going to happen to the League now? We rebuild. From the ashes of that great conflict, a new team has arisen. A much, much bigger team. Each of you brings something different to the table. Old friends, new heroes. And as usual, plenty of bad guys jumping up to get beat down. Calm down, and I'll let you go. How about you kiss my ass? Watch out, evildoers. There's nowhere to run. Because this year, they're all around you. The League is unlimited. An all-new original series starring every superhero worth cheering for. And then some. Justice League Unlimited. Where am I exactly? Among friends, there's strength in numbers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 151 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend, good brother, and the gentleman that runs our Twitter page. It's Liam. Liam, welcome to episode 151 of the DCAU Review. That's right. And after our landmark episode last week, we are finishing out the month of March with one final episode of Justice League Unlimited. And uh, it's a big one this week. Uh, Lots to talk about with this week's episode, The Doomsday Sanction. 
Of course, we're back in our regular uh, continuity here, picking back up after our 150th episode, which if you didn't get a chance to listen to, head back into the archives at DCAUReview.com and check out that episode. Uh, Liam, last week was a lot of fun as we reviewed uh, pretty much every episode or a lot of the episodes, definitely not every episode, but a lot of our favorite episodes uh, from the last 150 episodes that we've done. So great to be back here talking Justice League Unlimited again. And of course, as you mentioned, we are continuing uh, here with uh, another episode that sort of falls into the Cadmus story arc, that being the Doomsday Sanction, which originally aired on the Cartoon Network back on February 19th. 2005, meaning we just passed the 16-year anniversary of that show debuting. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a very exciting episode, and we will get to that. And of course, right after I go into the official IMD for this week's episode, that is, of course, the Doomsday Sanction, written by Dwayne McDuffie and Robert Goodman, directed by Dan Reba with music by Christopher Carter and animation by Dong Yang. And that synopsis reads as such Superman battles doomsday in the heart of a volcano. Doomsday is revealed to be a modified clone of Superman. Batman probes the Cadmus conspiracy to destroy the justice league. All right. Uh, l- pretty wordy on that one, but it, it gets the job done. Yeah. I've, I've heard we've, we've heard worse or heard better as well. For sure. Uh, so as uh, as the uh, IMDb official synopsis so beautifully described here, uh, we actually have the return of Doomsday here. But before we get to that point, uh, we have uh, sort of a proper introduction to this shadowy Cadmus uh, organization that has been sort of lurking in the background. Obviously, Amanda Waller did appear on the episode, the uh, ultimatum where we were introduced mm-hmm. to the Ultimen. Uh, she sort of appeared briefly and, and was more of a shadowy figure here. We get a little bit more of her backstory as to who she is uh, as, as Batman uh, breaks into her apartment in the opening scene to have a very serious heart to heart and does a little bit of exposition explaining just who uh, Miss Waller is and how she got to the position that she's in. Get dressed. It's time we talked. Amanda Waller, born in East St. Louis, Rhodes Scholar, PhD in political science, served in intelligence under three administrations, disappeared from public life four years ago. Am I supposed to be impressed? Maybe I should rattle off your resume now. You know, I could blow the whistle on you anytime I want. Fine. Why don't we step into the light together? I'm sure the American people will be just as interested in your activities as mine. Secret weapons, illegal cloning experiments, bypassing Congress. What do you want? I want to know what you think you're doing. <laughs> I think he was very gotten to by, uh, by Amanda Waller knowing his secret identity. So he had to really just prove that he could... Uh, that he could find out everything about her life as well. Yes. And he does uh, quite, quite the excellent job of saying everything and, and giving you a full rundown of just who she is and what, what she's been doing and how she got to where she was and her education and does so. And Batman, apparently not a fan of boundaries <laughs> uh, does. So as she's, as she's exiting the shower. Uh, so it does not care. Gives no craps as they say. 
so uh, we we then learn uh, that uh, really kind of what the point of Cadmus is and why just why the government would have an organization set up like this to uh, sort of fend off or, or potentially fight back against the Justice League. And it, and it connects back to actually uh, the old Justice Lords episode that we covered back in the archives at DCAUReview.com. Yeah, that's right. Basically, she uh, she spells it out to Batman, but that uh, in order to get Lex Luthor a pardon so that he would help them defeat the Justice Lords, uh, Superman had to explain everything to the U.S. government. And that includes telling them the story of these Justice Lords who had basically, uh, because they, uh, in order to stop President Luthor, had killed him and taken over the entire world, basically. Um, And uh, understandably so, perhaps, uh, the government was a bit alarmed by by a story about a, a version of Superman very similar to our own that is that was willing to go that far. Um, and so they sort of began to uh, explore their options as far as what they could potentially do to defend themselves. Should, should uh, such a similar scenario arise on uh, earth. Did Superman ever mention that to get Luthor's pardon, he had to tell us about your parallel universe adventure all about it. We started to wonder what would happen if you took the same action that the Justice Lords did, so I had my people run some computer simulations. If the Justice League ever went rogue, what do you think would be the result? That's moot. Humor me. In every single scenario, you beat us. Badly. But that was before Cadmus. Now we have the technology to defend ourselves. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world, the Justice League will take you down. If we present a threat, you've got a spaceship floating over our heads with a laser weapon pointing down. In another dimension, seven of you overthrew the government and assassinated the president. We're the good guys, protecting our country from a very real threat. You. Not only that, but of course, they also mention uh, as the episode that we covered just a few weeks ago, uh, the Dark Heart, where uh, we learned that not only does the Justice League have a giant space station rotating above the Earth, but uh, that space station also is a giant laser pointed directly at Earth. Uh, So suddenly uh, we start Mm -hmm. at things start adding up here as to. Maybe Cadmus is indeed the good guys, as Amanda Waller tells Batman. Yeah, and I think that's kind of we're beginning to see sort of the the hallmarks of this Cadmus arc take take shape here as these, you know, the bad guys, quote unquote, uh, of this of this storyline, while they are absolutely using questionable methods, while they're clearly not afraid to to. Uh, you know, to certainly break the law or, or, you know, what would conventionally be considered breaking the law uh, to get where, what they want to do, um, committing, you know, war crimes, as we see in the episode go on. Um, they're willing to do pretty much ev- anything and everything here, but it all comes from this deep seated and understandable fear that 
she even pointed out seven of them, seven of these superpowered characters and or six in Batman, I guess, overthrew through the government. And and now they have an entire this vast army of superheroes on the watchtower and they have the space laser. And uh, yeah, only understandable as to why, uh, you know, the U.S. and probably we don't necessarily hear that there's other world governments that are getting involved in this. But you could imagine that any government that was aware of this would probably begin to uh, try to shore up their defenses, as it were. Yeah, not only that, but uh, we we learn, of course, there's this this constant line that keeps coming from both Superman and then the Flash, who uh, is in this a little bit more than we had seen him in previous Justice League Unlimited episodes. Uh, we we kind of hear this refrain that, well, we're not the Justice Lords. We're not like them. Um, I think the Flash even jokes that the reason why the Justice Lords became the Justice Lords is because they lost their Flash. And as long as they focus on keeping him alive, that this isn't something that they have to worry about. But we we do hear the line later on. And this general thought on the Cadmus side is that the Justice League is the Justice League in every dimension. And this is something, of course, that comes along later on and uh, plays heavily into the questions theory about who Lex Luthor is and whether or not the Justice Lord's timeline is inevitable or, or, or if it's something that can be avoided completely. Uh, so they're coming from this standpoint that, hey, just because this hasn't happened yet, these are still the same people that are capable of this, of this, horrible terrible evil uh so we kind of need to keep them in check so to do so who does cadmus call in but dr hugo strange and dr milo (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so their their crew here we have uh we have an we have a very interesting crew of uh folks here we have general eiling who we previously saw in uh in the dark heart Okay, so he's representing like the military, let's say. Um, sure. Uh, we have uh, Tala, who uh, certainly becomes a, a bigger part of the show in the third season of JLU. So you imagine, okay, Superman in particular is known to have a vulnerability to magic, probably worth you know looking into the mystical side of things. Okay. And then, as mentioned, we, have, uh, we also have Professor Hamilton, who, of course as we found out at the end of fearful symmetry is very much in league with the, with these people and is in fact uh, responsible the clone of Supergirl Galatea. We get to mention that she is almost back up to a uh, fighting shape as it were. So okay, sure. I get, I, I we follow. Could, we, yeah, we're following it right now. And then we get Ilo who was last seen both timeline wise and in our show. Uh, he made a wolf man once. And also a poison for cat food or something. Um, and Dr. Hugo Strange, who did discover Batman's secret identity, uh, but then was outsmarted by teenage Dick Grayson in stilts and a wig. So <laughs> um, I'm not... Look, I don't. I'm not wanna... tracking those last the <laughs> connection, <laughs> the last two, other than a, a cute little wink and a nod to these characters uh, from the old animated series. 
which of course, uh, you know, the late great Dwayne McDuffie is responsible for writing this episode. Uh, so him having a love for that original uh, Batman, the animated series cartoon, making the connection there, uh, I guess, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it was mentioned by uh, by Mr. McDuffie, uh, I believe, on, on a forum years ago that Hugo Strange was supposed to have a little larger role. He was supposed to be the person torturing the question uh, a few episodes down the road, but then was sort of pulled because of the, the legendary bat embargo. Um, but... Yeah. So, but that being said, I don't. It's not like Hugo Strange was known as a torture specialist in animated series, so I don't think that's like a huge loss to the story. Yeah, it felt like, hey, let's just throw in some people. We have the connection to Superman, the animated series with Hamilton, so let's just throw in a a couple Batman uh, to give it that extra. Like, it doesn't have to be them. It could be any any other like DC scientists you could have thrown in like, you know, red tornadoes creator or, or somebody like that, or the guy who created the metal men or, or somebody like that. And it could have been, anyone. it could have been Kirk Langstrom. They talk about splicing. They talk about that sort of Milo's division is, is splicing human and animal DNA, which I guess makes sense. And so, yeah, it felt like it was just a, Hey, remember these guys. And also a little, not a wink and a nod to, you know, forward in the timeline when when splicing is a regular thing in, in Batman Beyond. But Milo, Strange doesn't say anything. And again, we never see him again. But Milo, on the other hand, is like the linchpin of this entire story. Yeah, uh, he ends up being responsible. So uh, we learn that pretty much uh, he's he's run out of rope when it comes uh, to Amanda Waller. She's had her fill with him. Maybe she's having buyer's remorse in, in realizing that he's sort of the odd man out of this group. Uh, although I think the argument, as you said, could be made that Hugo Strange was really the odd man out, but <laughs> we digress. Uh, so him being the odd man out, his experiments uh, costing the government money, not really helping them. So she decides to do away with them. He has this sort of fantasy where he pulls out a giant gun and murders them all. Uh, or specifically Amanda Waller, and then uh, he is relieved of his duty and told that he will no longer be needed. Uh, so, of course, instead of security escorting him out at that point, uh, he then wanders out to a a a, a room that he opens and uh, is revealed to have the recovered Doomsday, uh, who we, of course, saw in that prior episode where Justice Lord Superman lobotomized him. Uh, so we get a quick throwaway line of him uh, fu- having fully recovered from the lobotomization. And uh, then we get some more exposition from Dr. Milo, kind of giving you the actual backstory of Doomsday that we never really got. I know you're faking. The lobotomized portion of your brain has completely regrown. Do you remember anything from before? That's all right. I'll show you. You've been used, and you deserve to know. You see, you were created from a sample of Superman's genetic material. But your DNA was altered to make you his superior. And then, you were trained to hate him. You were conditioned, humiliated, repeatedly injured. 
but not by Superman, by Amanda Waller and Professor Emile Hamilton. When you became uncontrollable, they tried to dispose of you. They put you in a rocket and shot you into space. Too strong. Your struggles threw the rocket off course. And it came back to Earth. When you landed, you fought a different Superman, one from a parallel universe. He lobotomized you. Superman? Yes, God. But he isn't your enemy. Your hatred of him was manufactured at every turn. Waller. Hamilton abused and betrayed you, just as they betrayed me. Don't we both deserve retribution? Yes, release me. And you'll solve both our problems? Yes. Yeah, it's, uh... <laughs> so when he shows up in uh, A Better World Part 1, uh, he just falls out of the sky from an asteroid, um, and he speaks... Uh, speaks to Justice Lord Superman, seems to just kind of be a generic alien conqueror type. Um, and that's, it, we don't really, we didn't know what happened to him. We didn't really know where he came from. It didn't seem like it was ever going to be explored again. And so while it's cool to bring him back to then go, actually, this was all this deep seated plan by Cadmus. Which that in and of itself doesn't make a ton of sense to me because if Cadmus was really ramped up due to the due to the events of that episode, why did they already have the doomsday? Like they already had a doomsday who they say is a clone or a or a creature made at least in part. So like why did they already have that Superman killing machine? I guess you can say because of the events of uh, the series finale of Superman. They they were already kind of starting to build up their weapons, but maybe I feel like guess. But I thought but that's like, what Galateo is about, right? So I'm a bit on the fence of like why exactly they already had built, and it also goes back to I think we talked about it at the time, but in the very first episode of Justice League, Super arms all of the nuclear weapons. Why would the why would the government why would specifically the US government allow him to do that if they were also funding a giant unstoppable murder machine and a clone of his cousin to kill him? Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. That that doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um uh, it seemed like that maybe they realized that like they they kind of I don't know. Doomsday sort of felt like a throwaway character in that better world. And I think maybe some of it was um, we know that some of the writers like to subvert the expectations sometimes of uh, these major tentpole characters and not having them fit into exactly how their comic book counterparts were mm-hmm. used. So having him be such a in that in in a better world, having him be such a kind of a throwaway disposable character that gets pretty easily defeated by this alternate universe Superman. Maybe there wasn't original plans to have him come back and then realizing that hey, this would be an interesting character to go back and reuse and maybe Mr. McDuffie, sometimes I know his vision for things didn't always line up for some of the way that the other writers 
uh, vision for things uh, looked and he cared a little bit more about some of the continuity and some of the history of the characters more so than some of, and, and had a reverence for them maybe more so than some of the, the uh, standard, standard older writers. So I, I'm curious, yeah, w- whether or not this was his decision to bring it back and it, because, I mean, because it was a decision, his decision to bring it back, it is obviously one of the most important characters, especially in the Superman rogues gallery over the last 30 years or, mm-hmm. or so 40 years, maybe um, it, that has obviously become such an important character in, in, in Superman's uh, lineage. Uh, so having him come back in the animated series wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but shoehorning him in as this character that was created by, or this creature that was created by Milo with a similar storyline to that of the Galatea storyline does make it feel a little bit watered down and derivative of that story that they kind of already set up and especially the purpose behind it. Yeah. I think you could, you can get to where we need to go with this story. Like you can just say that Cadmus or the U S government or whoever took them into custody. And then while he was still kind of brain dead and once Superman told them about it, they turned his body over to Cadmus who experimented on him until, until they realized he was healing or whatever. Like you can still keep it. I don't think you needed to add in the part where he was like genetically created to hate Superman and brainwashed by Cadmus to do that. Like, I think you could pretty much do what you did and just have be like, okay, his, his, his brain isn't quite there, but he remembers uh, he remembers Superman. He remembers that Superman hurt him. And so when he's freed, all he wants to do is go after Superman, even though he doesn't necessarily realize that it's not the same Superman. So I, yeah, I like, I don't, it's fine. Like, it's just so, it just felt like one, like, it just felt like we connected dots there that definitely or didn't necessarily need to be connected. And we could still have Cadmus have him in custody and be exposed on him and break out and go after superman i think that's all fine i just i think adding in that bit of them being like and he was a clone and he was sent off into space in a rocket and then the rocket somehow turned into an asteroid upon re-entry and then a bit to fight justice lord superman i was like yeah that's just that's that's i don't know like it's 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 a lot of coincidence it felt like, like to me yeah, it seemed like a little extra fluff that didn't necessarily need to be there, which is interesting because as we move forward here in the plot, uh, he actually, of course, apparently kills Dr. Milo uh, very quickly. So Dr. Milo is no more, rest in peace, uh, and then breaks out, jumps in a space train, uh, rocket train, something or other that he knew how to drive, I guess. Um, that conveniently was able to shoot him out of this underwater base uh, that Cadmus had. And then uh, he lands, uh, crash lands on this volcanic island uh, that is erupting that the Justice League is responding to. And uh, wouldn't you know it, it just happens to be the same island where Superman is. And uh, the battle commences between Superman and Doomsday in a volcano. Uh, And that is kind of where the rest of the episode culminates here. Uh, the Cadmus sort of scrambles once they realize that Doomsday is on the loose and uh, that he is attacking Superman. Uh, General Eiling <laughs> then decides he is basically going to kryptonite nuke the entire island. 
uh, like a true <laughs> general would, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I, my favorite part is the conversation where between him and Amanda Waller, where uh, Amanda Waller realizes there's going to be countless civilian deaths at this point and tells him to call it off. And he said, oh, yeah, it's too late. And she just yeah. goes, OK. What were you thinking? You're going to kill Superman and everyone else on the island. We have to sanction Doomsday. We were going to get to Superman somewhere down the line. And we've been trying to stop drug traffic from San Baccaro for years. The way I see it. Three birds, one stone. Call it off. Anti-board safeties have already engaged. I couldn't stop it now if I wanted. To. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly, I think. Yeah, I think that is an interesting scene. Um, we'll certainly get to it in, in voice acting as well. But like, where this general is so single-minded, and again, well, he makes a sort of a resurgent appearance in the in the final season as well. But um, that he just he's thinking about it so like analytically of like. Because he mentions like, oh, he loves that Doomsday went right back after Superman because, uh, you know, he follows his orders, which were to kill Superman. Um, and then when, yeah, when when Amanda Waller confronts him, he's like, well, we were going to we wanted to uh, we have to stop Doomsday. We were going to eventually probably kill Superman anyway. And uh, there's drug trafficking coming off this little island. So, uh, yeah, there we go. We're, you know, we're all good. Um, and and once she she realizes she can't stop it, she just kind of looks at the map and it just goes silent. So, uh, yeah, it's so that leads to, uh, I guess, the second half of the episode here. This league is mounting this situation uh, effort and Superman's doing what he can to try to prevent this giant volcano from erupting, but is uh, unfortunately accosted by Doomsday. And we see we see some of their knockdown drag out fight, but. We don't, it's almost, it's funny as, as much as you would think that like the first true meeting in this universe of Superman and Doomsday, like you said, Cal, maybe verts some expectations, but that's almost like the C plot of the episode is Superman and Doomsday fighting in this with, uh, with the Cadmus stuff. And then the other side of it being Batman and, and John sort of coordinating this, this, evacuation attempt with wonder woman and flash uh on the ground uh so it's like it's it's really is kind of fascinating to me uh how 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 you would think that you know this big epic fight would be the main the main stuff and everything else would be window dressing but the fight is is not necessarily a huge part of the episode it's it's somewhat brief as far as total minutes spent watching the fight anyway yeah, which is why I, I felt like, and we can get ready to get into our scores here as we wrap wrap up the plot discussion here, but uh, I felt like this episode would have been one that was probably better suited as a two-parter. Um, obviously, we're in the Justice League Unlimited era here where two-parters were not a thing. These were 22-minute episodes for the most part. Um, but this episode does feel very clunky at times because of that. Um, I think if you're going to include so much exposition and especially that scene uh, with Dr. Milo showing you the history of Doomsday, I think in a full, you know, 44 minute episode or 43 minute episode, I think that 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 balances out and that takes up enough time for you to kind of get a backstory here. I don't know how you would have necessarily stretched the entirety of this plot into two episodes. Um, and maybe that's where the issue lies, but it does feel 
like the fight between Superman and Doomsday, as we said, which is such a pivotal, iconic moment in comic book history at this point that it deserved a little bit more than I, th- I feel like it's, it's a couple split second scenes. It's not, it's not heavily focused on. It doesn't feel like at any point that it's out of control or that Superman is even close to being defeated, um, which takes away the tension or the idea that this character is somehow a different threat or more of a threat somehow than uh, a dark side or a Steppenwolf or, or a Calabac or something like that. It, it in no way feels like at any point that this is out of control, despite Superman kind of getting his behind handed to him uh, for the first little bit of this fight. It, it, it doesn't feel like it's going to get out of hand or it's out of hand, which maybe if that was the case, and then you see Superman struggling with the decision to try and re lobotomize him, which is interesting that he does try to go Mm -hmm. there again, go there knowing that that's how the justice Lord Superman, uh, you know, successfully defeated him and he's unable to, maybe if there was more time to, to focus on him struggling with that or, or I, I don't know. I, I just feel like that this does feel very rushed. And like you said, it's the C or D plot of the entire story because really wrapping things up, we get a, a Batman always having to try and sacrifice himself in, <laughs> in a javelin uh, to save, to save humanity or to save the other heroes. Yeah. He, uh, in the process of uh, realizing this missile is headed for the Island and that there's no way that they'll uh, be able to evacuate. And of course they figure out that it's, that it's lined with kryptonite. Uh, They sort of quickly ascertain that there's nobody within the vicinity that can stop it. I will question, are you telling me Wonder Woman couldn't catch that missile and throw it up into the sky? I, I call malarkey on that one. That's that's fair. I think this is a case of Batman being chauvinistic and assuming that he ha- he was the only one that was capable of saving this. I don't know. It didn't seem like Wonder Woman was completely aware. I don't know if she was aware of the situation until that very last moment where Batman was already there anyway. Like they weren't aware right. that the missile was on its way. So Batman making the assumption that they weren't going to be able to get in contact with them because the other part of the plot is that the electromagnetic interference from the volcanic explosion is interfering with the Justice League's comlinks, which prevents them from being able to let them know on the island that this missile is en route. Yeah, there's like you said, it's just it's just too many moving parts. And like I said, I think there's still some cool stuff. It's one of those things where I like almost every story beat of this. I like in a bubble or in a, you know, on paper, but it's so much to try to pack into 22 minutes. And there are those questions. And again, maybe if you had 44 minutes, like you said, we could have come up with a reason why Wonder Woman was otherwise occupied and couldn't stop it. Or like you said, they didn't know about it until the missile was almost already there. Um, and they couldn't they couldn't get and they couldn't uh, reach her or flash or any of the other heroes to let them know that this was coming. Um, and I guess that's as good of an, an excuse as as any. But it's yes, Batman uh, uses the the javelin. He magnetizes it and, and uses it to pull the missile up into the sky and I guess up into the upper atmosphere. And uh, he ejects from it, but it's sort of caught still partially in the explosion and at the end of the episode there, we see him all 
all uh all broken up and 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 with lots of bandages and a neck brace and all that and uh he has he has some words for uh for superman and wonder woman as as he sort of quickly figures out that uh they in fact chose to uh rather than turn doomsday over to any sort of authority they chose to send him to the phantom zone yeah and that scene is very uh, there are some Justice Lords undertones to it because they're sort of set up there instead of being in the round table that they sort of usually are, they're set up almost in this judge's position where they have chairs up on a platform and they're looking down at Doomsday and, and questioning him, trying to get him to give them answers. And when he refuses uh, sort of a sentence, even though, Superman is quick, quick to point out that he sees it only as a last resort. He sends, uh, he sends him to the phantom zone. And that, that final scene as we'll talk about once we get to voice acting uh, Batman, none too happy and not in certainly not in a joking mood uh, when it, when it comes to talking with Clark about this idea and, and sort of coming around to this idea that uh, maybe, maybe the Justice League is the true threat. Maybe they are, maybe Cadmus ha- ha- is onto something at this point, uh, which is interesting. And, and Bruce is none too happy that he's sitting there kind of all banged up and Clark is, is making jokes. Yeah, it, like I said, it definitely plays up some tension. Unfortunately, I don't really feel that this tension, that we see more of Superman sort of a variety of people sort of point the fingers at him over the rest of this Cadmus arc and tell him he's not quite acting like Superman should. Um, you know, later on, it's the question. It's Captain Marvel, not that one. Uh, uh, the Flash, Green Arrow, like everybody kind of has a moment where they get in his face and, and ask him, like, what are you doing, man? But this is kind of we don't we don't really get a lot further followed up on from my memory of Batman in particular having these doubts. Um, so it's a it's a it's a compelling ending. And like you said, we'll certainly talk about it more in voice acting, but it's sort of ended with this sort of ominous uh, image of 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 Superman tell, telling Batman there's there's no way that could happen in this universe. You know, you you know me, you know us. We're not we would never turn that way. And then uh, at the same time, uh, Bruce uh, is looking at his television screen, which has an image of Lex Luthor announcing his run for the presidency and uh, doing like a, a 360 turn with an American flag in the background. And it's very, uh, it's very ominous. And we sort of, we do sort of, they definitely wanted to play up that side of like, is this just inevitable and going to keep happening over and over again? Yeah, it's a great ending. You're right. I wish there had been I been some more follow up to that. I would have liked to have seen. I I I think there's enough similarities here to in the whole Marvel the comic version of the Marvel Civil War uh uh storyline where you have this idea that's you know the how much should control over superheroes should the government have and mm-hmm. um so you know having Superman kind of play that uh, that I guess he would have been more along the lines of the Captain America and Batman would have played the role of, of Iron Man, I guess, at that point, recognizing yeah. that, the, that the heroes are are more of a danger and maybe the government should have some say in what they do and don't do. Um, that would have been interesting, I think, especially 
seeing some tension between Superman and Batman, who we know started out as, as sort of having more tension and then, you know, became closer friends as, as, uh, as the, the, despite not being necessarily always warm and loving to one another, uh, but (laughs) certainly closer friends as, as justice league goes through. So yeah, that would have been interesting to see what would happen. And I think you mentioned that, uh, the DCAU wiki even talked about uh, there was may have been original plans for something like that with Batman breaking off from the Justice League. Yeah, so there's a, a special feature on, I think it's actually on the final season's DVD, but it's sort of an overview of, uh, of the Cadmus arc with some of the creators, Bruce Tuim and uh, Dwayne McDuffie among them. And uh, yeah, Bruce Tim mentioned that this was originally going to be uh, the idea was Batman was kind of going to officially cut ties with with the Justice League here, and he was maybe going to take a few other non superpowered heroes with him and kind of form his own group, and that uh, they would maybe even end up working with Cadmus against the League. But that at a certain point, they felt like there was it would be hard to do that without making Batman look like a straight up bad guy, and I think they we're a little worried about that, uh, that characterization. So they, they kind of backed off that ledge, but yeah. So the ending again, like we said, it's a super packed episode. And then that ending does raise some interesting questions. It, it seems to have a lot of potential to continue the story. And like we said, the Superman side of it has certainly continued as we'll get to when we review those episodes, but the Batman side is pretty, uh, is, is not really followed up on. So for all those reasons, um, I, I again, we still try to, uh, you know, grade, grade these one at a time. We don't I don't try to grade it based on what happens in the future. It is a good ending. But overall, because it's so packed and I don't think they quite nail ev- uh, the pacing of everything, I ended up settling on a seven out of ten. So I still liked it quite a bit, but uh, definitely room for improvement. Yeah, I gave it a six out of ten. Uh, so I'm 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 pretty close with that. I think that um, y- you're right. I think there was just there, it's a little bit clunky at parts. It feels like maybe uh, this was their chance to kind of redeem the use of that that doomsday character, and and di- they didn't quite quite nail it. Um, so kind of another swing and a miss on that that side. With that said, I think the things touched on this episode, regardless of whether or not they're they're followed up one or not, I think are interesting enough to, to warrant uh, a better than average score. Agreed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which will be visual and animation. Uh, so we have lots to talk about here. Some great stuff. Uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about what your thoughts were uh, on visuals and animation. Yeah, I think uh, the, the first thing that stands out to us, besides all, as as we already mentioned in plot, all of these kind of returning characters from from Milo and Strange and 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 Hamilton to Doomsday, um, the thing that stands out to me, and I think it's another reason why I wish we could have seen a little bit more of the fight, is the having the fight between Superman and Doomsday take place on the inside of a volcano. 
so they're literally fighting among this rocks and lava and everything is sort of glowing red inside and having it sort of be this race against time where Superman's trying to stop this volcano from going off and he's trying to buy the rest of the league time to get everyone evacuated. Um, I think the, the there's a very unique environment. I think the backgrounds are really cool. And I think what we see of the fight in the volcano is pretty cool. Um, but that that's kind of the standout visual stuff to me. Yeah, I think uh, from the get go, there's uh, from the opening scene. Once we get past the the credits, uh, there's an interesting trick that they did where the Justice League is sort of sitting at the round table and they're discussing, uh, you know, kind of who Cadmus is and why they're doing what they're doing. And the, the camera is sort of panning around the table and then there's a transition where it passes a chair and then it's over to Cadmus and it's doing the same thing. And Cadmus is uh, the members of the Cadmus team are sitting around their own round table and having their own discussion about the justice league. And as it pans, it keeps switching back and forth between the two of them. I thought that was a really neat trick. Um, mm-hmm. or it, it, cinematically, it worked very well. It would work very well in a movie. Uh, so for them to use that that sort of visual trick there to kind of pan back and forth and to do the, you know, the compare and contrast between Cadmus and the Justice League, both strategizing on how they were going to work on and what the other one stands for and why they're working for or towards the goal that they're working for. I thought that was a pretty cool dichotomy and a, and a way to visually uh, kind of bring them and, and show that they're not that different in the way that they're working together as a team. They're just working kind of against each other in a way. Um, so I, I thought that was a pretty neat visual there uh, to start off. Um, I also had the volcano written down as a, as a great visual. Uh, there is some actually some great color. I felt like in this episode too, even as Batman is piloting the javelin later on uh, he is uh, he's he. As he likes to do, he likes to burn up upon reentry as he's <laughs> as he's flying the javelin uh, at uh, at top speed in order to catch up with this missile. And uh, there's a shot of Batman in the cockpit and the 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 light from the fire that is you know that is uh, or the 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 burning that's coming as he's reentering the atmosphere shining off of him was a I thought was a great visual. Um, there's uh, there's also uh, the uh, a lot of CGI used in this this uh, episode, yes. unfortunately, to its detriment. I felt. Yeah, we get uh, quite a bit of the uh, the CGI vehicles, especially all the the transports that are carrying the civilians off the island, as well as, of course, the the missile that is fired uh, towards this island, San Bocaro, and uh, and of course, Batman's javelin as well. Um, all CGI. Um, it look, it certainly looks better. It's is not the worst I've seen it. Um, but there, there's still something that doesn't quite jive, especially there when he, there's a shot, like he, he, once he's magnetized the, uh, the missile to the javelin where like he's turning sideways and the wing of the javelin is like scraping the top of the water and the water is animated beautifully. Um, and it's right, you know, regular traditional animation, but it's like, but that mixed with the CGI javelin vehicle just doesn't just doesn't look as good. Like, <laughs> and I understand it was probably a cost cutting measure, and that this is more efficient and everything. I understand the why. It's just personally, I don't I don't quite think it it jives when, especially when it's surrounded by those more natural uh, drawn environments. 
Yeah, I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely hate the CGI. It took me out of that entire scene. It's such a, a, a high drama scene with Batman trying to catch up to this missile. And every time they cut back to the javelin in my head, I just kept saying, why? Why did we do this for so many years where we had a vehicle when it was on there, it was hand-drawn or it was digitally drawn. Why all of a sudden do we have to switch to this awful CGI that stands out and looks so bad? It takes me out of the episode. Um, with that said, there was a couple other standout things that I really liked. I did like as they launched the missile, they cut to this uh, submarine where they launched the missile from. And there's uh, f- no good reason at all, but they're in a, in a, in a submarine and, and the characters are in, in dark shadow and you kind of just get the highlight around the, the military men as they launch the missile from the submarine. I thought that was a pretty neat scene. Also looked pretty cinematic. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also enjoyed that, that sort of like watchtower panel, if you will, where in the very end is they have doomsday who's been hurled into the volcano, which somehow causes him to be covered by hardened rock, I guess. Uh, he, uh, he sits there before the justice league and they're sitting there demanding questions from him. So that was the first time we kind of saw those chairs lined up in that sort of, uh, as we said, sort of like a, a judge's position where they were intentionally sort of higher than uh, the, the person they were talking to and kind of up on this platform and sitting in these chairs in a very judgmental, visually judgmental way. Uh, and then for Superman to, to bring back the, the Phantom Zone projector, which we have not covered yet. Uh, but of course, it originally made its appearance in Superman, the animated series uh, plays quite a pivotal role in, on, on several episodes of that uh, with a new coat of paint. It's uh, it's now bluish and, and black as opposed mm-hmm. to, I think it was gray or silver, I think in the original Superman, the animated series. Uh, so I guess Superman had a craft night where he decided to, to change up some <laughs> the colors on it but either way so we bring bring back that uh despite us not covering those episodes just yet uh but i think yeah the standout has to be the volcano fight and and certainly the the reds and oranges and uh just the visualization of the lava and uh superman even before the fight takes place him tunneling through trying to relieve some of the pressure on the volcano i thought that was Sort of a, a to me, I, I felt like that was something that you could have seen in almost any era of Superman animation, whether it was mm-hmm. the Fleischer era or uh, the Super Friends cartoons or um, or even Superman the Animated Series. So from there, seeing him do the actual tunneling to try and relieve the pressure as the as the magma sort of follows behind him in the tunnel is I thought that was that was a pretty neat uh, and, and timeless visual. Yeah, there's actually there's one shot. Uh, it's actually right at the start. There's he's burrowing through, and it's kind of this weird close up shot. And he looks way more in a few in a few shots of this episode, like the Superman, the animal Superman to me. He just looks. I don't know. It's like the way the the head was drawn. It looks like. And I know there's like this would happen from time to time, where even though he was obviously not a full time storyboard artist at, by this stage of his career, uh, Bruce Tim would occasionally step in to board something uh, if they needed a quick turnaround or if just something wasn't quite to their liking. So I don't know if this was someone who was more comfortable with the Superman the animated series style, but it's just that that one shot of him like burrowing, tunneling into the into the earth at one point. I was like, man, that just looks way more like the. Uh, the original uh, Superman there. But yeah, overall, 
I definitely think most of the Superman stuff is is what stands out as uh, as memorable to me, and uh, certainly that that very final image of of the of Lex Luthor behind the American flag is uh, is is quite chill, chilling. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some really strong visuals. I agree, the CGI kind of makes that uh, that ending a little bit of a bummer, but uh, I still went with a pretty strong seven out of ten for my visuals. Yeah, despite me hating the uh, hating the CGI, I actually went with the same exact score. I think that yeah, nice. that final that final scene uh, with Batman, uh, Wonder Woman turning off the light as Batman sits there all bandaged up, and there's just one sort of uh, a gleam of light across Batman's eyes, and uh, you see him sitting there watching the television, and and Luthor standing in front of the flag, and him sort of just his reaction, the music that comes through on it really, really done really, really well. Great way to end the episode. And then it fades to black. So, uh, just sort of more foreshadowing. Here we go. That we're, we're, we're off to the races here in the Cadmus story arc. So, uh, really, really good. Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move on to music. Uh, so as we discuss here, uh, our music from our dynamic music partners this week, uh, a couple of uh, memorable and interesting musical moments here. Uh, one probably very prominent that we both uh, had notes for, but uh, let's talk about music for this week. Yeah, so I thought uh, I, I, I really enjoyed the music this week. I thought they uh, there's a lot of uh, good music. There isn't a lot of necessarily like, hummable like we talk about that sometimes um like where you're where it's going to be stuck in your head for days but i thought it did a very good job uh you know the electric guitars especially uh doing a good job of of adding to the the drama of the moment especially as even if the visuals weren't great when when batman's dropping you know basically dropping free falling out of the watchtower and then you know burning almost burning up on re-entry and you have that very dramatic guitar and drums there driving it with uh you know some of the synths and and things like that in the background there to add to it i really liked that um uh the the as you mentioned cal the very final moment of the episode when we see bruce watching the tv screen with with lex uh lex on it we have this very kind of haunting like it's just like one or two strings and maybe even like a little bit of almost sounds like a little bit of a choir or something, just kind of like this low hum. And it's very, very like uh, unnerving. Uh, in that moment. and Very uh, ominous. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I think there's a, a very unique rendition of the Superman, the animated series, uh, Shirley Walker Superman theme that plays near the end of the battle, uh, which really stood out to me as well. Yeah, that was the one that I had major notes about. Uh, it's just as Superman has decided that uh, he's going to, he, I think he said he delivers the line he, there. He needs a bigger fire. So that's when he decides to hurl, uh, hurl doomsday into the volcano. And uh, yeah, the Superman Shirley Walker theme comes in and it's played in this very creepy minor key. Uh, uh, uh. Can't beat me the same way twice. Then I guess I'll need a bigger fire. Uh, 
that kind of leads you to kind of see that, okay, so he already just tried to lobotomize him a la the Justice Lord. So now he's going even further. And it appears at least initially that he kills him. I mean, that's kind of what you're led to believe until the next scene where you realize that somehow hurling this creature into the volcanic, the mouth of the volcano just had him covered in rock or something. Um <laughs> hardened volcanic ash i don't know uh but yeah it's played very very well very subtly if you're not really paying attention to it you may not you may not hear it uh but it's worth certainly checking out if you did miss it on the on the on the watch but uh because of that because of that musical note and nod um i thought that that was specifically that and i think that the scene with batman as you mentioned piloting the piloting the 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 javelin headed towards the the missile there's there's some great music that that comes through there adding to the tension and 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 building to that scene so uh for those reasons i ended up giving music a pretty strong seven out of ten what about you and i am right there with you i gave it the exact same score of seven out of ten i uh you know, a couple of great professionals in, uh, in, in Michael McQuistion and Christopher Carter specifically, but uh, yeah, music, uh, music, definitely a, a, a big part of what makes this episode work. Agreed. All right, Liam, well, let's move on to our final category of the day, that being voice acting. Uh, so we have a lot of our series regulars returning here and uh, a few new characters as well. Uh, let's talk about our voice cast. Yeah, so we have uh, some minor roles that will come back to be uh, to be bigger bigger uh, characters later on. We have uh, Juliet Juliet Land, who people might know from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and quite a few other things. Um, we of course once again have J.K. Simmons as General Eiling. Um, does uh, again still kind of a minor character here, but uh, you know he's a tremendous actor and uh, got to play a little bit more cold and ruthless on this one uh but he's still mm-hmm. very even keeled much like he was in the dark heart episode absolutely absolutely yeah he's, you don't really get much emotion out of him but you can you you completely understand who this guy is uh, by the time the episode's over um and speaking of which him uh he he is good uh between i think her the opening scene with batman and then some of the stuff uh, when she's when she's running the the board meeting and then and then her reacting to Eiling setting off his mission uh, set, setting off the missile, uh, CCH Pounder as as Amanda Waller is phenomenal in this episode. Oh, she's so good. Um, I think from like you said, the opening scene with her going toe to toe with uh, Kevin Conroy's Batman uh, to her uh, experiencing or expressing. Uh, her emotion at the table with Dr. Milo, the line that she delivers about not having a being known for her sense of humor. Uh, I thought that that was a great line. And then again, uh, her interactions with General Eiling. Yeah, very, very strong. Uh, she does. She holds her own with a with a with a couple of very strong actors in both Kevin Conroy and J.K. Simmons. Uh, so yeah, real, real, real strong performance from her. And uh, I, you know, w- we mentioned her. Uh, perform- performance on ultimatum and how you know sh- what a great job and what a great actress that she is obviously and this is just another great showcase of that talent yeah absolutely she's uh she's she's couldn't say enough great things about her especially like we said that 
that opening scene and and especially as that scene ends where she sort of lays out that again she you know she says we're the good guys and and we're protecting the world from from a very real threat and batman just kind of silently has to walk out <laughs> of of her bathroom um <laughs> it's really really quite good and yeah not not often that we see uh we see kevin conroy's batman left speechless but uh yeah rounding out the cast we do have armin shimmerin as milo uh he's he's fine um and uh and then we we will get to our we have a couple of our other main justice leaguers we have carl lumbly as martian manhunter briefly we have a little bit of susan eisenberg as wonder woman and michael rosenbaum as the flash again they're all just sort of coordinating the rescue effort so not a ton from them but they're all of course great in in their in their minor ways and then uh, along with george newburn superman we have a returning michael jai white uh, he was a, an accomplished actor, um, very recognizable voice, but unlike in his first appearance in A Better World, where he also played Doomsday, they put this voice modulator, they just like put it through like a bunch of different effects, and he has this really this like deep, like, it it just, it doesn't sound like a monster voice to me, it sounds like someone read lines and then they put them through a filter, you know? Superman, I'm here to kill you. This is a bad time. Yeah, it sounded like somebody had a fun time with Audacity and was just like, oh, what is this? <laughs> what does this sound effect do for a voice? It is, I, I mean, so... Uh, Mr. Mr. White has a very unique voice and, and obviously, as you said, a very accomplished voice actor, um, done a lot of, a lot of great, great character work. And uh, I, I think there, there probably was a, was a, a happy medium between what they did uh, on a better world where he, it was literally just Michael J. White's voice. Uh, and then this sort of robotic, let's go to town on whatever the, the voice modulator app that we decided to put on his voice. <laughs> I feel like there probably could have been a happy medium where it made it seem a little bit more alien or uh, as you said, more like a, a monster voice as opposed to what we ended up with here. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, I would assume if you were doing this much to change the way he sounds, I would have assumed before looking at the credits that they just didn't bring, they just didn't want to bring him back. Cause obviously like we said, he's an accomplished actor. Maybe his price is a little higher or he's not available because of his scheduling. So they just decided to kind of just have, you know, a, another, maybe another veteran, but lesser known voice actor. And so they just, you know, mess and post to kind of disguise the fact that it's a different voice, but no, it's, the same man with the same yeah, very commanding unique voice but it's almost unrecognizable because of the the filters they put it through and that's not to say the performance isn't isn't you know good like the lines seem to be delivered pretty well but it's all delivered through this such a heavy filter um and so when superman is kind of pleading with them and asking him you know why are you why are you trying to kill me why do you feel like you have to kill me especially once it's made clear that doomsday knows that he is not the same Superman that, that uh, lobotomized him. And he says, you know, this is what I am. I don't care why. Like there's some, there's some fun kind of pithy lines from doomsday, but they're all through this, this, you know, garbled voice, voice processor. And 
I just, I just personally, like I said, like you, I agree with you. Maybe there was a, a middle ground there where you could maybe deepen it and put some sort of effect on it. Maybe like a deep, like an echoing effect or something to kind of give it a more booming monstrous tone. But uh, I just, I just didn't think this quite worked. So I ended up setting on, I think, I think everyone else in the episode is great. And again, it's nothing against Mr. White personally. Like I think his performance is fine, but we don't really get to hear his performance. So for all those reasons, I gave voice acting a nine out of 10. Nice. Uh, so I don't disagree with you about that. I think that uh, we, you know, we just established that the, the voice was probably a swing and a miss. However, I think based solely on that final scene uh, between Kevin Conroy and George Newbern and a little bit of Susan Eisenberg, uh, the, the Trinity kind of having this conference and Kevin Conroy's performance, it kind of is, is really expertly bookended uh, between that first first scene uh, with Amanda Waller and then the last scene uh, between Bruce and Superman. You'll do anything to avoid monitor duty. Sent him off to the Phantom Zone, didn't you? He left us no choice. Spoken like a true Justice Lord. What? Come on. Passing judgment like gods with our superpowered army and our orbiting death ray. Cadmus is right to be scared. The human race wouldn't stand a chance. We'd never go there. It isn't in our nature, and nothing can change that. Nothing? What if Luthor does become president, like he did in their world? What would stop you from doing what that Superman did? There's always that kryptonite you carry around. You don't get to joke. Not today. I just took a bullet for you. I'm sorry, Bruce. You're right. But you don't have to worry about the Justice League. Trust me. You know me. Yeah. I do. Get some rest. And it's it's his passion and his like his just like he's kind of had enough and he's so fed up. He's a part-timer in the Justice <laughs> League. And he's just not like He's irritated and he's also, you know, suddenly wondering if they're, if the Justice League does have too much power, that little, little sort of soapbox that he gets on and sort of lecturing Clark uh, and then, and getting irritated about Clark making little jokes about it. Um, I, I thought that was really, really strong. I really liked it. I thought that the, that, that, uh, compared with uh, Ms. Pounder's voice and 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 J.K. Simmons and everything, everything kind of together uh, left me with no choice but to give this a perfect ten out of ten. Nice. Yeah. Um, all right, Liam. Well, that will begin to wrap us up here. So let's total up our scores. And uh, totaling everything up here for me, I end up with a thirty out of forty. What about you? And I have the exact same score. Uh, in fact, <laughs> a 30 out of 40 as, uh, as we wrap up. Um, yeah. I mean, as far as, as we can jump into rewatchability here. Yeah. This is definitely one you got to watch. Um, it's not only important because of all the characters that are in this particular episode, but as we mentioned, it sets a lot of groundwork even small things like batman mentioning that he has the question looking into the luthor and cadmus connections uh just a lot of things 
you know, Tala and and see and uh, and Amanda Waller mentioned uh, trying to procure the armor, which will which will come back in the you know in the, in the Task Force X episode. So like, there's a lot of groundwork, and not to mention obviously you know Superman and Doomsday and and all of that. And as you mentioned, the great ending there is this we're sort of bookended by Batman going from the justice league is going to take you down to Cadmus's right to be afraid of us all in one episode. Like there's definitely a lot here. And I think it's definitely a must watch. It's one of the more pivotal episodes, certainly of, of the entire series. Yeah. As we get into the Cadmus stuff, there's almost uh, you have to watch these episodes just because they're so closely related and there's so much stuff that happens that, you know, gets followed up on and loose ends that get tied up later on and things that allude to future episodes. So I, I agree with you. This is definitely a must watch, even if it wasn't uh, a home run and maybe it's not uh, the best of the best Cadmus stuff. It's still a part of this Cadmus arc and needs to be watched. Agreed. All right, Liam. Well, that will begin to wrap us up for this week's episode. Thank you, everybody, for checking us out. Don't forget uh, to make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor. We're on pretty much every podcast app that you can think of, um, which reminds us, if you have the ability to leave us a five-star review on that podcast app, please do do us a favor. Go out of your way uh, to do that. That helps us out a lot. Even if you've already left a five-star review, uh, Apple Podcasts allows you to leave more than one review. So if you're feeling generous, you want to help us out a little bit, uh, then go ahead and do that for us. You can also, if you want to support the podcast, you can buy some merch from us. Head on over to dcaureview.com. Click on the store tab. It'll take you over to our shop. You can pick up a hat, a shirt, sticker, uh, mug. We got lots of stuff over there for you to to pick up and support the podcast since we do not run ads here. Uh, Don't forget, you can also check out the entire archive of all episodes we've covered thus far over at dcaureview.com and follow us on social media at dcaureview, both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Liam, we always talk about things that are happening in and around the DC universe. We've been talking a little bit about Snyder Cut stuff. We've been talking about uh, standard DC continuity, lots of exciting things happening with Fantastic being introduced in the dc continuity lots of stuff to discuss with the fans over at uh, twitter uh, which of course you run the twitter page so head on over to check that out but uh we also preview our newest or latest episodes liam which means uh it's just about that time for us to discuss what we what we will be covering on next week's episode that's right and uh if you follow along of course with our show and you have for a while you know we from month to month, we like to switch it up here, and we will be returning in the month of April to Batman, the animated series. And uh, we got a really fun month uh, worth of episodes to cover here, and that will start off next week with our review of The Man Who Killed Batman. Oh, boy. Sid the Squid, we're excited to take a trip back to Gotham City and where it all began with Batman the Animated Series. Look forward to talking about that next week. But until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the very next episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.